why it was strange also is there was two who ever paid attention paid attention to the Sharon Tate thing until this movie and there was another movie about Sharon Tate the exact same year Oh yeah, wasn't uh, yeah. wasn't Sarah Michelle Geller or somebody like the ghost of Sharon Tate haunting the Polanski yeah, yeah, house? Yeah. This is director like Redbox. That. I don't I don't know. People thought that movie was very distasteful, though. I remember that. Although he was more respectful, <laughs> I thought he portrayed uh, Joseph uh, Goebbels very favorably compared <laughs> to uh, historically what we've learned about him. And uh, so that, in relation to Bruce Lee, I don't know. Quentin's all over the place. I can't tell anymore. You know, mm-hmm. is you know. It's a miracle they haven't mined his earliest films uh, for all of the dialogue and offensive materials you could very easily trudge up in those. I mean, yeah. it, 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 people will point out, you know, it's a, what am I saying? Culture is very fickle in terms of what it finds offensive or non-offensive at any given point in time. So I'm not the least bit surprised that this would be the one thing that they cling to in this movie that and again margot robbie's maybe lack of dialogue as a character among all other things in this film and the fact we do again have roman polanski who is a terrible sodomizer who just won best director at some festival in france i believe (laughs) and uh prompted walkouts and booze I'm sure, Uh, but see that's what i mean i'm sure he i'm sure he just sodomizes uh underage people and then flees countries. Uh, I I I wouldn't suggest that someone else who was dating him or married to him or whatever was also murdered by him. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never do that. That's crazy. Because because you know uh, I think I think people only bad people. There's no such thing as a bad person. You know, uh, good people can do bad things. And uh, some of those really bad things can be abhorrent, awful things where you have to flee a country. But you only do that once, right? Yeah. You don't do multiple, to... multiple country yeah. fleeing acts in you your only life. Tra- <laughs> only travel to countries where they won't send you back. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. won't send you to the States. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just It's just a hunch, guys. I have no idea. Well, uh, on, on that note... Um, <laughs> <laughs> we will be revisiting uh, this film eventually because Quentin Tarantino has apparently written, I think he said, five episodes of Bounty Law, which he wants to do as a real series. And it's probably going to go to Netflix since they seem friendly with him. Would this be something that either of you are interested in checking out? Yes, 100%. That's my I, shit. Based on his... Um... Based on that episode, was it NYPD Blue or NCIS or? Oh, he did CSI. He did an episode CSI. of CSI. I own it on Blu-ray. They sold it as a special collector's edition and like squished the cover art. It's terrible. Uh, <laughs> continue. Yeah, he uh, that was exceptionally good. I think there's certain weirdly when when he's under certain constraints, he does better. I think there there are. It's it's like uh, it's like George Lucas. Once George Lucas had everything under his con- control, everybody was like, "Yeesh, these are <laughs> this is these are all your choices, dude." You didn't uh, like yeah, Red yeah. Tails? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even. I didn't see it out of respect for the Tuskegee Airmen. 
<laughs> I hear he's doing the whole Vincent Gallo thing where he films movies in private and doesn't share them with anybody. He's, he makes these expensive films on his lot and then just screens them for he and his family. Oh, okay. As long as it's not, you know, George Lucas's brown bunny, I'm fine. <laughs> I do not want to see George uh, Lucas's That's his brown wife bunny. and daughter. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Eesh. Anyway. <laughs> so Bounty Law is a, is a yes. You, you, you would want to check out Bounty Law. I'd be entered... I'd be interested in giving that that a watch. I think, um, weirdly, it was um, it's been Western, Western, something with westerns. Now another Western uh, with, with Quentin. I don't know what's going on because um, you had Django, then you had uh, Hateful Eight, then you had this, and now you have the. Um, what you call it? The uh, the the show Bounty Law. Yeah, well, it's kind of an untapped genre as far as today goes, with the exception of the movies you just rattled off and Bone Tomahawk, and um, you know, I think there might have been a couple of modern westerns. I mean, what was it Hell or High Water had had that kind of vibe to it, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly some aspects of Probably. Sicario even felt like a western at points. Mm-hmm. It's Probably not. Cowboys and Aliens, John Favreau's <laughs> massive hit with uh, yeah. Daniel Craig. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's a genre that is really brought out on its own. It's something that's more infused with something else. Uh, and I don't know if we really have any other genres that are like that, where it was just retired. It uh, Westerns, weirdly, you, it, Westerns and samurai films were yeah. kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, because they weren't really a genre. So it, the the thing that divide the, defined the genre was the setting and the costumes, essentially. But you can have a comedy western or a comedy samurai film. You could have a dramatic. You could have a romantic. It it's a unique kind of genre in that it's a genre that any other genre can coincide right along with comfortably because you 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 know you also have like blazing saddles which is just like a comedy western but or or, right uh, here actually on on a classic warner vhs tape it's one of those that is one of those movies where it's like at any point if there's a group of people around if even one of them hasn't seen Blazing Saddles especially in today's era you're like we're going to watch we're going to put on Blazing Saddles because it'll it'll break the ice you know like when you put it on in a party that will break the ice where people are like what is this when did this come out like <laughs> back when people had thick skin you know the 70s uh but um yeah, westerns and and yeah, and samurai films. Even like, even you know, Magnificent Seven is a ripoff of uh, Seven Samurai, and and there's other you know, Yojimbo. I think is like Man with No Name is kind of like Yojimbo. Maybe am I making that up? I don't know. There's there was just a whole bunch of films that just, which is why Kill Bill is literally a western and a samurai film thrown in to the ring together, which, you know, um, that's, uh, I don't know. I like Westerns, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Although unforgiven, I think is, uh, unreal. Like that movie is 
astoundingly good, I think. Um, Tombstone or Wild Wild West? <laughs> yes, you put those in the same oh, sentence. Let me throw let me throw this at you. Have you seen Wild Wild West at all recently? No, I'm will, I'm willing to bet Dude. it's a lot of fun now. Uh, okay, so I started to watch it, and uh, you know the begin. There's like with the introduction of Will Smith, as Jim West, right? Is uh, he's bathing with a you know a sexy broad in a in a in a water tower, right? Mm-hmm. And then the water tower tips over and he falls out. I would encourage anybody to watch this because I was like, this movie was rated PG-13. There is a straight up balls taint shot. <laughs> of Will Smith <laughs> in the opening of this movie. And it's like, it's a few frames long, but I literally had to go back and I was like, did they just fucking teabag the audience with Will Smith? Is that how popular Will Smith was? That in a PG-13 movie, from behind him between his legs, he squats and stands up. And you know there's footage somewhere of just his asshole, asshole. <laughs> in the camera. And it, it was astounding to me, and it made me realize, uh, you know, I, I, this, this art form that I love uh, needs to be destroyed. That was, this was one of those moments where I was like, man, the current, well, the current system needs to be destroyed because they're, they're yeah. teabagging us with Will Smith. Wild Wild West, I think, was entirely the product of like Peter Bart or or John Peters, somebody uh, reviving old properties. Back in the late 90s, Warner Brothers was making terrible decisions left and right with films, which is why Steel happened and, of course, yes. Batman and Robin. And Wild Wild West is in that same uh, chronology of, of films. And we were supposed to get Superman Returns, the Tim Burton yeah. Superman take. And that, that bad guy in Wild Wild West, this is a very famous story, the The mechanical spider was supposed to be a Superman villain because John Peters, I, I think it was him was so obsessed with this idea of a mechanical giant spider. And then he wound up shoehorning it into Wild Wild West when Superman Returns didn't happen. Also, who the- thought who thought Will Smith and, and Kevin Klein would be a great charismatic <laughs> duo on screen together? All right. The only reason I remember that movie is because, like most young boys, when they saw that movie, was the shot of Salma Hayek's butt in, that, in those pajamas. That's it. And you're like, yeah. We got to watch Wild Wild West when that comes out on video so that we can watch a terrible CRT pause section of uh, her butt going in the other direction. But uh, that was all I remembered from it. And then all of a sudden this taint shot in the first 10 minutes, I couldn't watch the rest. I couldn't couldn't watch the rest. I got mad. I got very mad. What I I remember about it is every kid (laughs) in my neighborhood who was eight years old Burger King was selling uh, Wild Wild West, Jim West glasses, sunglasses, and everybody was walking around with these cheap little blue plastic glasses from Wild Wild West. The marketing was outstanding for this movie. Too bad it was a massive flop. Yeah. You know? I wonder if I wonder if what happened with that ball shot is uh, what happened with uh, I don't know if you remember uh, Nick Mullen posted a screenshot of a movie that he bought. Uh, Highlander, that's- right? No, was it Highlander? It stars him. It stars the the Highlander guy, but I don't remember if it was that movie. But there's a sex scene where if you pause it, you can see his ball sack. 
Uh, but because of the quality, I think it's a T, I don't know if it's a T movie or something, but like you couldn't see it when it came out. But because of high definition Blu-ray now, yeah. you can pause it, you can see his balls. So I'm wondering if maybe that's what happened. Maybe it was dark enough in the theater where you can see it. They weren't anticipating now... that. It was VHS <laughs> and 480p DVDs, you know, you, you weren't getting that right. kind of outstanding quality. Um, it's poor since false acting. I remembered, uh, I mean, speaking of t- terrible choices and like Hollywood's ebb and flow, I guess you could say, of when there's good people and bad and bad things uh, here and there. But uh, I remember you mentioned about, <clears throat> uh, we mentioned Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on the the show with Mel Gibson. And I remember what that so uh, related to, I think we mentioned, I, I had brought up a uh, hail Caesar or what would not hail Caesar. What was the name of the movie? No, you you, you did Caesar, bring right? up hail Caesar. Caesar. I've, uh, I've it, since yeah. checked that out. I hadn't watched it uh, prior and then I wound up yeah. giving it a look and I, I thought it was a pretty fun, good movie. Yeah. And that movie is, uh, we were talking about how that movie is kind of the start, the beginning of the end of gold, the golden age of Hollywood and once upon a time in Hollywood feels like the death that the final the final blows of of um old Hollywood, like those late sixties, right before Easy Rider hits hits the you know, it comes out in sixty nine and and that's I think what we were touching on. But I get the sense that this cause every all the somebody actually that I know interpreted it as very like it has a very conservative bent to it where like a lot of these actors that were in Westerns, it's like the death of the Western kind of in the sixties. And you have these, these, everybody, everybody says fucking hippie, essentially. Like every time they talk about hippies and it's always fucking hippies. And uh, so there's this kind of like the old, the old um, system dying off because that's essentially what we're watching is like this swan song from uh this kind of john wayne type character you know and uh when people say when john wayne you know did his last movie that was i forget who said this but they were like that's when got the golden age of hollywood or that's when hollywood as people knew it really was over um i don't know if i totally agree with that but I'm sure it was before before he did his last movie, but but that um, I feel like the whole DiCaprio, everything is it's all kind of surrounding this decline in Hollywood that culminates with this death of they kill all these hippies and then they then they and then they meet up with Sharon Tate. And, uh, you know, Polanski and everybody's happy and sunshiny. And it has such a such a bizarre ending Mm -hmm. to the point where it's like, don't you wish that's how it went? And I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know, because the the screen time you gave these (laughs) you gave these hippies like three minutes of screen time and then they died brutal deaths. I don't know any of these characters like (laughs) I guess they deserve to have their fucking faces bit off by a dog, but like, I I don't know, man. This is brutal. And uh, they, you just introduced. He spent he spent like twenty minutes of on Margot Robbie sitting and laughing at herself, 
which was weird also. Like yeah. <clears throat> they put they put other characters into old footage, but her it was Margot Robbie watching actual footage, which I thought was kind of weird. Yeah, that was a strange choice. Um, but uh, he spent so much time developing. I guess you could call it developing her character, but just showing her, and then uh, and then we get like this. <clears throat> Uh, a minute, uh, you know, a minute, like maybe four minute conversation between characters in a car, and then we watch them get brutally murdered because they're mad about how rich people live. And I, I was sitting there listening to them, and I'm going like, I don't know, I could kind of get on the side of this. <laughs> kind of agree with them, you know. I've been in those Hollywood Hills, man. I've wa- I've walked all around those Hollywood Hills, and you look around, and it's, it's those aren't even people's primary houses. The people that own yeah, those right. houses, that's like their third or fourth or fifth or. Maybe they own a bunch of them and they just bought them to keep neighbors from being around, you know, like, um, so I don't know. I, it was confusing at the end. I still kind of enjoyed it. And, uh, but I will say that there's a huge double standard where it's like, here's Quentin Tarantino showing people brutally murdering women. And everyone's like, genius, absolute, absolute genius. And then, like, Mel Gibson says a sentence that people find offensive, and they literally kick him out of Hollywood for good. <laughs> allegedly, of course. Allegedly. Allegedly, yes. Many of them. You can't call a woman a cunt and get away with it. That's where we're at now. How dare you, Hans? Get this, I'm never coming on this show again. I'm I'm so offended. I'll never be back. Oh boy. Yeah, he does spend a good like six minutes showing Brad Pitt smashing that one chubby girl's face into the fireplace, into the brick of the fireplace. Man, what cinema. And then her phone? It's not just a fireplace, it's the phone. He smashes her against yeah. the phone and then he smashes her head against something else. Oh, a table, I think, or something like that. He just goes, that's why I was like, what the, like, it just completely came out of, that's why I think it's half an hour that, what the fuck, because it came out of nowhere, and then it just went on and on yes, and yeah. on, and there was no ending. The dog, where the dog just kept biting them and just kept going on and on, it was just like, this is awesome, but it kind of doesn't fit what we've seen for two hours right. at all. So this movie is strange in that way, where it feels like two hours and 20 minutes of it is Quentin Tarantino trying to be like, can I make a film that does not obey by the same rules as all of my other films? And then he full-on indulges and makes up for all that lost time in about 11 minutes with that finale. Yeah. Like, here's here's the dessert. This is what you get <laughs> yeah. for sitting through everything yeah. you've gotten thus far. Absolutely. I, <clears throat> I think... Um, I... Th- I haven't. I I I was gonna rewatch it real quick before we before we did this, but then I decided no, because that's how I think that's how the majority of people function when it comes to films these days. Like, there's certain movies that rerun on TBS or whatever TNT until those those channels are gone gone for good, where people will watch rewatch things they've seen a million times, and they'll watch it with commercials for four hours. Like you're spending twice as much time on a movie to watch it with commercials and all this stuff on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> an edited it, version and edited somehow version. is longer. Yeah. yeah. And, 
And sometimes they put in extra footage that had been cut out to make it longer so that people will watch more commercials. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I just don't see this movie being, which is weird because a lot of people have said that they they think it's great and they're going to rewatch it a bunch. And I, I heard, uh, what's his name there? Bill Burr and Joe Rogan talking about how much they liked it. Bill Burr was like, oh, this is going to be like a Goodfellas to me. I'm going to watch this one over and over. And I was like, I don't think you are. I think you're going to watch it maybe once more and realize, eh, I don't think that was as good as I remember. And uh, and that'll be that because there's just so much – there's so much in this movie that is unnecessary, not just for character development or story, but it's just – it just seems like um, – it just seems like they just ran out of time. Like they were like, eh, that's a good cut. That's the one, you know, and th the other thing that nobody talks about is, which is usually the thing <clears throat> Quentin's known for, or used to be, um, music. You used to be able to watch his movies and it would be these pop songs you'd never heard or bands that you'd never, ever even knew existed. And that stopped with Kill Bill. I feel like Kill Bill, you know, where he worked with the RZA, um, that was the last real soundtrack of his where I was like, I haven't, I don't think I've listened to another soundtrack that he's done because I just, nothing since then has really um, been soundtrack heavy. Now, yeah, <clears throat> Django Unchained had a couple of moments where like the song would kick in and it almost seemed kind of jarring. And out yeah, of no, that was, that was a weird juxtaposition where you have these Western moments and then all of a sudden it's like a Tupac remix that's playing with James <laughs> Brown and it doesn't quite, or Rick Ross's on the soundtrack. It, it's, yeah. I don't know. It was strange. Um, yeah. Hateful Eight had a, an original score by uh, Ennio Marcone. So right. that's, that's example. You're, you're completely correct in that nineties Quentin went heavy on, on, on music. And, you know, I, I'm trying to think of Inglorious Bastards. The only one that comes to mind is the David Bowie song from, what was it? What was the uh, was it Cat Eyes or what was the Paul Schrader movie that was based on the 1940s like werewolf cat movie? Have you guys seen this? <laughs> no, I haven't. It might be Cat Eyes. I, I don't know. I feel like that's wrong. I feel like I sound like a fucking retard right now talking about this movie. <laughs> um, we do have a little bit more pop culture in in uh, this movie as far as the the soundtrack goes, but only by comparison because it's pretty stark. I think um, mm. with the lead up. Yeah, I guess that's how I I could be wrong. How I remember it is it how it isn't how it uh happened, you mm -hmm. know. But uh that's what I think hurt this movie the most because I I go I think about things but I don't think about things in to like when I think about pulp fiction, I think about huge like the whole dialogue before uh, Vince and Jules get to that door and then they get to the door and then they stand there and talk more. And then they, then they hang back and they talk more. And every bit of that conversation is hilarious and awesome and worth listening to. And it goes on for a long time. Whereas this was like, Oh yeah, I remember they, they got the scene with the little girl and he and her, him have a conversation. And then she says he did a good job later. And then Margot Robbie watches a movie, and then uh, Brad Pitt fixes a roof, I guess. Then he smokes a thing, 
and he talks to Bruce Dern. Like that's it. And then uh, and then there's brutal, brutal murder at the end. But is that a story? Is that a movie? <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just a. It seemed like a collection of semi semi um, realized scenarios and scenes that um, that just didn't quite gel for me. I don't know. I felt like <clears throat> I do. I, I can't help but feel like this one was rushed. I would love to ask him because I, I, you can tell he cares. I'm not saying rushed doesn't mean didn't care. Uh, you can tell he's trying. He's actually there making movies because he enjoys making movies. Whereas you have someone like uh, who's the guy that does like World After Tomorrow and uh, all those. Uh, Roland Emmerich. Roland Emmerich. Yeah. Oh, you have someone like <laughs> someone like Roland Emmerich who's literally like, uh, "What do you guys want?" Oh, okay. Yes, suits. Uh, and they're like, "Thank you, Roland's." Uh, we are trying to trying to bring it in at this this amount. So uh, these are the people you'll be casting, and this is the story you'll be telling. You're like, oh, okay, great, uh, um, and that's it. And everyone's done at five every day. <laughs> they adhere to every union rule in the book, and nobody does anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And they get get it done as fast as they can. Whereas Quentin, I feel like, you know, <clears throat> if you're in the moment and things are going good. We're here to work. Let's make good movie. You know, I feel like that's like there's still an indie element, even though he is kind of like in the hall. I mean, he was working with Weinstein. He's in the Hollywood yeah. system. <laughs> yeah. Nobody yeah. really talks about how Quentin went from video store clerk to working with one of the most powerful people in show business. That that just seems to be like a blur during during that little bridge of time. I'd be interested to learn how how that occurred. He must have didn't uh, Jake insinuate that like his dad or somebody had some kind of connection to somebody that knew Weinstein, which is how his script got there. Because he was selling, he shouldn't have been able to sell True Romance and Reservoir Dogs uh, at the level that he was at back then if he wasn't somewhat well connected. It, it, and you know, if you hear the the story that uh, Lawrence Bender who produced most of his 90s, pretty much all of his 90s movies, if you listen to him, because Hollywood, the story behind the production is almost more important than the movie itself because that's what sells it to everybody. Mm -hmm. And you have to have a fancy kind of storyline about how it came to be that everyone's like, oh, wow, it was meant to happen or what what a great story. Like they were living in a van, you know, they're like – Quentin, he was working in a movie. That was it. He worked in a movie uh, house, and then he got. And then he was really good at movies. And I was like, I, nobody talks about his prostitution uh, visits. You know, he, which he has talked about briefly. Is like, uh, you know, that's kind of where true romance comes from. It's like, you know, his first sexual experiences were with prostitutes and stuff like that. So. Nobody ever talks about that stuff. It's just, yeah, he worked in a, he was just a cool guy who worked in a, worked in a movie house. And then, you know, here he is. But, and, and Lawrence Bender, his version of how Quentin was discovered was he was reading all these scripts because that's what producers do, which is bullshit for the most part. Anyway, uh, they have, they hire other people to do it for them. And then, um, 
so he goes, he goes, here's a, here's a, uh, this script came across me, my desk and it was handwritten. And I was like, oh man, like, who is this? Someone put something in handwritten. I started reading it and it was really good. I was like, no, you didn't do it because (laughs) as soon as someone sees something handwritten, they go, this guy's a maniac. And then they throw it out. Manifesto. Yes. (laughs) That's I've I actually had the pleasure of visiting uh, a friend who was working for Sony Pictures back in the day in Manhattan. And this person was uh, in the uh, publicity section. So they received a lot of mail from those types of people. And when I say a lot of mail from those types of people, I mean like one dude sent stuff constantly, apparently. And it was like handwritten, scribbled and shit. And they're like, yeah, we get this constantly. There's this one guy, I don't know, he's constantly complaining about what we're doing and like hates us and stuff. And I was like, I was like, that's awesome. You should make a movie. You should make a movie about that guy. <laughs> like, get that guy in here. Just just film the interview. Film him for two hours and then put that out. Release it. It would probably be better than anything Sony has done in who knows how long. <laughs> so we're, do you we're, think we're, that? Oh, oh, go ahead. Do you think honest. that pe- pe- people don't talk about that because Quentin is such a name that it just feels like he's ingrained into. Uh, what film was in what nineties and two thousands where he he came out of nowhere, but I feel like m- most people don't really think about the beginnings because it's just Tarantino is the director and everyone knows him as the director and everyone knew him as a name already when his stuff started coming out. Uh, and and by that I mean I'm not saying people that saw Reservoir Dogs or, or Pulp Fiction in the movie theater. I just mean everyone else that was exposed to his films that made him, you know, as huge as he is. Uh, so I'm wondering if maybe people are not wondering about that just because his name has always been attached to, you know, it's someone successful in a name already instead of someone like uh, Kevin Smith you know, who, whose story he's told millions of times and it's like a, you know, a rags to riches story. Uh, so I wonder if that's that's maybe a factor why people don't really wonder about that. Well, I, I think that story came out about Quentin and the whole fairy tale of it was obviously before the internet. And Kevin Smith has a very online presence where he'll give you a detailed account mm-hmm. of how he got from uh, point A to point F in his filmmaking career and the whole Quentin working at a video store, learning movies by watching movies and then getting that shot that we're talking about. It's just like a Hollywood fable, like anything else. Like you hear old stories of like, Oh, well, did you hear that Dennis Hopper disappeared in the desert for 18 days during the last picture and it tanked uh, universal or whatever, or John Milius said this and there was a fist fight. It's just like probably all lies. It's all it's, bullshit. It's like, it, it's all made up. There's no way to like verify these things happening. Um, but it's part of the Hollywood lore. Yeah. It's a, uh, the story I always think of is the, the Stravinsky, uh, when Stravinsky's right of spring played, apparently people were so offended and disgusted by what was <laughs> by this ballet and classical music that he had done. <laughs> that It was so rhythmic and tribal that the, the uh, aristocrats stormed out of the theater. You know, that's the, yeah. that's the, the, the way it's told. And I was like, I bet like a couple of people were like, I found it a little rudimentary and uh, 
it's abrasive and offensive. Anytime, like, anytime you hear, theater. <laughs> anytime you hear about people vomiting or or whatever in the theater, oh, it's always God, a plan. It's always somebody taking a pill to spew their guts during the movie, so then you can say that happened. Pulp Fiction. They said that some guy had a heart attack during the scene with the syringe going into her chest at at con or something like that. Yeah. Now I remember when I watched that when I was younger, that was intense. I was like, they're not going to stab that into it. You know what I mean? I remember being like <laughs> very uh, into that, but that was what I heard. Somebody, somebody got stabbed with the thing, but yeah, they, they ushered uh, John Goodman into the screening immediately. <laughs> they're just but playing the odds. It's usually, you know, it's, it, it's usually this weird movies that, otherwise wouldn't get any traction i feel like or that maybe are trying to add an extra layer uh and i'm just saying that because of that um what's the the um born Trier movie the house that jack the built, house that jack that built told was me the about, last right? one yes that, mm-hmm. that received that where kind of where it was like like a huge thing and then i saw it and it is graphic at some points but i can't believe that an adult would throw up or freak out watching that uh especially in the age where you can literally watch a gaping asshole on your phone in five seconds if you feel like it so to me believing that an adult is, is that the one-to-one like... comparison with von trier's <laughs> movie gaping sure. asshole yeah. okay. you said live leak you could have said but but uh, it's I don't know I just I, I find it really hard to believe that an adult is sitting there getting sick while watching something on a on a screen and and it feels like it's always this independent movies like uh, another one was Raw I think it's called uh, but this girl that it's a French movie but this girl is in in an, uh, high school or whatever and then she gets a taste for flesh uh, and it's an okay like the movie is fine but it got most of his attention because someone got sick in the theater and that's it. You know, there's really nothing to the movie. It's just let's add whatever controversy, but it's fucking bullshit. For the listeners, the man that was just speaking is wearing a Battle Royale shirt right now. So (laughs) we all know what kind of taste he has. I remember (laughs) Battle Royale was like my introduction to like, you know, arterial spray cinema if that i think that's the the kind of the phrase or whatever you know like uh that uh that just like over the top kind of japanese violence uh mm-hmm. and uh that affected me like uh, unlike any other movie i'd ever seen because it was one of the first times i'd watched something that was like foreign but not not foreign but like foreign and modern and like aimed at me as a demographic and it was so jarring that I was like, I, then I went on a Takashi Miike and, and I just, like I, I did a lot of damage on my brain after that, I think in my, my young years, but that's, <clears throat> that was one of those times where the full, the full brunt of the power of movies where you can just step into an entirely different culture that you literally have no frame of reference whatsoever you don't know what this is about, what their sense of humor is like, um, what the sensibilities are. And then uh, that was it. I remember Battle Royale being like one of those kind of watershed moments for me where everything that came after, I was like, holy crap. I considered myself a cinephile, but never again, because I don't think you can ever be one because you can't watch enough. You yeah. Know? If you, there's just so much, there's just too much. Did you, <laughs> did you throw up? while watching Battle Royale? No. The only 
the only thing that ever made me like physically uncomfortable to the point where I was so lightheaded that I fell over in the bathroom. Like I went to go to the bathroom because I thought I was going to throw up was uh, weirdly. It was the movie Hard Candy. But that was because of the sequence where she's got him tied up and there's it's all off screen. And then they pan by the the camera of the uh, or the, the TV where she's playing the video of the I don't want to uh, spoiler alert, I guess. Uh, well, she's got Steven of, Spielberg on the table in this movie. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> she's playing a she's making a, a, a pedo think that she's castrating him. She's iced him. He can't feel anything down there. He's tied up. And then the camera pans by um, the TV and you can kind of you see this glimpse of a medical castration on the TV. And it's just enough to make anybody really sick to their stomach. And then on top of that, there's a brilliant, I think that was one of the movies where that really affected me with the use of color. Like there's this circular camera that's slowly going around in that sequence. And, uh, and then they just wa- it's, there's this wash to red and that wash to red really like just it made me lightheaded. It was weird. It was, I, I thought it was fantastic because it actually made me feel something physical. And then, uh, but I've been dead inside ever since that. That movie. <laughs> well, and my, I feel the, girl, the girlfriend I watched that with, she she left me. Uh, that was a bad breakup. <laughs> I feel I feel the same way with uh, Japanese movies, but um, my start or when I discovered them was when I started looking into the original Grudge and the original Ring. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I, I th- when I first saw them, I thought they were scary. And then I saw the Japanese version and I was like, what the fuck? Because it's like they ump it to 100. <laughs> so whatever you whatever you see in the American version is not anywhere, nowhere close to how scary the original yeah. was. So that's what got me interested into how vicious and how much they can show in their movies compared to how sanitized everything was in this side. <clears throat> I mean, Audi- still like- Audition. Takashi Miike's yeah. audition that that one the bag sequence I'm not going to spoil that for anybody who hasn't seen it but the sequence with the bag uh, when you find out what's in the bag <laughs> that was that was uh, I was like holy lord uh, that movie's great that that might be his it's best a spectacular film. yeah it's, I I caught yeah. a, a restoration screening of that maybe a year ago and I'm I'm so glad I went to that that was a movie I had watched on like a shitty DVD. And I really enjoyed it, but like getting a full, just a full experience out of that movie in the right setting, the perfect setting, the, the setting that it was built for was really something else. Um, we're we're now at the uh, one hour, 40 minute mark and quite, quite far away from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> I, 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 so let's, uh, let me ask you guys this question as we get ready to close out this show. Where would you say that this movie falls overall in Quentin's canon in terms of overall quality. Now, obviously, uh, Tim, you, you seem pretty uh, pretty low on this one, and we know that Death Proof is your favorite, but where would you put this in a ranking? Oh, I well, Death Proof, I think, is his best film just based on originality. Okay, I would yeah. say my, my favorite... I think my favorite's Kill Bill, but the whole bloody affair with the part in the middle not included about 
where it reveals that the daughter's still alive. Because originally you were supposed to find out with the bride at the end when BB is there and shoots her that the daughter's still alive. And to me, so that to me I think is his best <laughs> film um, or my favorite thing of his. Um, but I, I, I would say this one, it's, it's, uh, I don't know with Quentin, it's like, what's good and everything else. Cause even this, this compared to Quentin stuff, not great. Quentin stuff compared to most other people's stuff is better than most other people's. Even his right. worst is, is still more like, it sounds like I'm shitting on the movie probably the whole, the whole time. <laughs> But it's just because I've be, I've come to expect. There's a different standard in play. Yeah, it's just, and that's it. And I, so I would say, I would say this one just for me, it just didn't catch me. I don't know. Maybe I'm jaded at this point in my life, but it um, just didn't catch me. And it has the <laughs> has the dubious pleasure of being the second to last film because he's already said he's only going to do ten. So that's kind of a it's kind of a bummer anyway, and I hope he goes out on a, a high note. I think he should take more time between movies. I think his last his last three, you know, the amount of time we got before Kill Bill came out was huge. That was what? I don't know how many years between that and... Uh, six, the one before years. that was Jack, what, Jackie Brown? Brown? Or, yeah. yeah, 97 and 2003, yeah. With the Jackie Brown is another one people forget about. That's one I enjoy as well. Um, cause it's Very a little bit more, yeah, a little bit different. And, uh, so yeah, that's a lot of years between those. And, uh, <clears throat> and then now all of a sudden it's like every, what, every two, three years, uh, we've got yeah. maybe a little bit longer than that, but since Kill Bill, three, yeah, it has years. been rapid succession. Cause you had those two movies. I mean, well, that one movie separated into two over two years mm-hmm. and then Grindhouse was maybe what? 2006, 2007. And then you had like the special release of that, which was like the movie separate. And then you only had Inglorious Bastards a couple of years after in 2009. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you're completely correct about that. Yeah. I think that it, it, that's just why I feel like things have felt a little rushed. And, uh, and it may be because people who want to make money off him know he's – He's the only kind of a, he's the only kind of sure bet where you can get actors to work for less because they'll be in a Quentin Tarantino movie. So he he helps you get great name actors for cheaper, and uh, they know they don't have to. His budgets aren't as big because he doesn't make as big pictures as like uh, you know some two hundred million dollar Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so this one just uh, I don't know it just felt. It just it's low. It's low on the. I, I can't rank them all individually because they all have strengths and weaknesses. I just say this one was the the one that I had the least amount. It felt lo- a little bit laborious at times watching it. That's all. That would be my opinion. What about you, Hans? Uh, well, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Quentin. I think he's fine. Like I like his early movies, but the last. Hateful Eight, I couldn't finish, even though I tried like three, four times. I just, I couldn't get through it. And uh, Django, it, I, it just didn't really Wait, hold do on. anything didn't, for me. But you watched you watch the miniseries, though, of Hateful Eight that Netflix yeah. threw We were yeah, supposed I, to do I, a show on that, and he watched the yeah. miniseries instead of the movie. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't get past that shit. I, 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 I wonder think I, why. I think I, I think I got an hour and a half or two hours in, and I had already forgotten what I was seeing because I had lost interest a yeah. long time ago. That so, one's a so, pretty hard rewatch or or watch in general. Like I, I forget huge chunks of that movie. The fact that Channing Tatum is in it at all, I like that. <laughs> that doesn't occur to me when I think of that film. Uh, continue. <clears throat> but when it comes to these early ones, uh, again, I'm weird. So to me, or the thing that I've rewatched the most. Uh, from his movies is four rooms. So oh, to me that that's mm. that's very out of left field. That's more out of left yeah. field than Death Proof. <laughs> so that that one goes. I mean, it's not. I wouldn't say it's top, but that one's up there. But just because of my personal taste, this one I don't think I would rewatch. Um, which I can say about most of his movies. I think uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and uh, uh, Bill I've seen multiple times. The rest, not really. Um, so I, I, I don't know. In the middle, I guess I, I don't like it enough where I I can you know recommend it to everyone because I know that it has a lot of elements that might be off putting to some people uh, when it comes to you know the the uh, videos of uh, the 70s and the, the, the setting and, and how violent it turns. I don't think everyone's a, a good audience for it as, as much as, you know, it, it was a success. I feel like it was a success mostly because it's attached to his name and it's, you know, it's cool to say that he, that you like his shit. So it's obvious that most people would praise it as the greatest thing in the world. But I would, I guess I would put it halfway, like in the middle. I, I, Again, I don't think I'm going to be rewatching it anytime soon, especially because I just finished watching it today. Um, but it was fine. It was it was a fun watch for me, but I can see other people not enjoying it as much. Uh, for me, you know, I I do definitely agree with the the fact that his more recent films seem to be less concentrated, and I don't think that they're going to last in in the the pop culture sphere quite like. Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction, definitely Pulp Fiction, obviously. Um, but there is something I enjoy about the long stretches of, of time that he takes with these more recent films, as uh, cartoony and over the top as many of them are. And just that novel-esque approach that he applies to storytelling, where it feels more like you're going to see a Quentin Tarantino movie every time feels like an event. And I think that's been maybe more so the case as of recent because you do get these bloated three-hour epic films. Uh, I really enjoyed the performances in this movie as far as Leonardo DiCaprio and, and uh, Brad Pitt. Uh, certainly not that girl in the back of the car at the, <laughs> at the ending of that. Uh, and I think there's aspects to this film that are really brilliant. But I I can't help but agree that there's a lot of just meandering surrounding those aspects where it, it feels like aimless wandering and and you just kind of walk into these big well-written uh, just iconic moments or scenes but to mm. get there can feel like a bit of a chore i would probably put this in like an a tier but a lower a tier um just because I've gone back to films like Kill Bill and Django and uh, even even aspects of Jackie Brown, even though that's a quick and 
great and uh, just a very well done movie, there are aspects to those movies that feel like a bit of a slog um, in retrospect when I didn't remember that being the case. So I, maybe because it's fresh in my mind and I've rewatched it since on uh, 4K Blu-ray and, and enjoyed the deleted scenes and got new stuff out of that, uh, I would probably put it in the A tier. But is it his best film? Uh, no, no, certainly not. Um, that would that would actually be very tough to determine, in my opinion, because I think off the top of my head, there's many aspects of Inglorious Bastards that that feel like uh, like it's a masterpiece at, at certain points. But there's also uh, mm-hmm. some some major flaws with that movie as well. I don't know. I would have to think about it before making any hard determinations. It's, it's still too recent, you know. Can you think of any other director that has the pull that Tarantino has right now, where if you put a movie in a theater, most people will go see it, even if they don't know what the story is, just because it's a Quentin Tarantino movie? No, I mean, maybe the closest would be like a Christopher Nolan, but he's not an exciting director, you know, in, in that way anyway. <laughs> he's... He's he's the um, he's the professor that you hope you don't get, yeah. you know. <laughs> yes. Like uh, yeah, when you if you're in college and you have everyone's like, is that which professor did you? Oh no, everybody already applied to get to this guy's his class because he's way more entertaining. Like, although he's the professor that's not as fun, but you'd learn more. Like uh, if you've ever seen him do his like his maps on on how he structures stories or things like that. Or he, he or if you've ever seen, uh, who is the puppet tier that he, uh, filmed the documentary on, uh, like, uh, uh-huh. no, no. <laughs> the only one. Christopher Nolan's of. Jeff Dunham bio. I think it was a, uh, it's like a, a marionette, oh, yes. uh, some marionette, uh, maker or something. I don't know. If anybody's listening, that's, that's something to check into. But, uh, um, Christopher Nolan is one of the few people that I think if he did if he made something and it wasn't good, just nobody would ever hear about it. He'd just destroy it, and he wouldn't. He would like uh, you know, because Doodlebug uh, is his first short, and it's like a minute. I don't know if you've seen that, but uh, I haven't. That it's weird because I feel like people's first thing is their thesis statement. Uh, that would be something I suggest because. Uh, it's le- it's like less than two minutes long and the everything that's in that movie is thematically something he has extended into a feature ever since then. I mean, a couple of them maybe my interstellar might be a little bit of a stretch, but even now, even that one, I don't know. It's, it's bizarre. It's, it's, real, it? it's really awesome. No, uh, <laughs> yes, bat, it's a Batman. <laughs> fan I'll, I'll say that. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> Except for uh, except for the Batman trilogy, I'm talking about like any original, uh, any wholly original thing that he's done has been uh, it's it's in that movie. Uh, like the Prestige, Memento, the following, um, even Tenet, uh, Inter- uh, Inception. Every single one of those movies thematically, you can see in this two minute thing and. Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just projecting onto it, but I, I just started thinking about it, and then I was like, oh, wow, yeah, you can. And it's 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 a little bit funny, too, but I highly suggest Doodlebug. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's online. I'm going to check that out. That sounds very fascinating. 
Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Tarantino, Christopher Nolan. There's, there's not really anybody even, else, right? Even Scorsese went straight to Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not because so. he's low quality. It's not like going direct to Redbox. <laughs> no, but do you think if he had put The Irishman in theaters, he would have gotten as much pull just because it's his? I guess I guess it's his comeback that from years of not doing anything. I mean, they so did maybe. put that out in theaters for about two, three weeks, and I think it made more money than any other Netflix release in the theater. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> yeah, I... Never mind. <laughs> I think Zoller maybe maybe on that list one day. I would but, hope so. I he, I don't know. It's 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 anyone's guess at this point, but I hope so. Yeah, agreed. He's somebody I would. I feel like he's probably getting the itch at this point to make a bigger film because all of his movies are pretty pretty small. They bring mm-hmm. out the best in what they have for a limited amount of money, and it's just hit after hit after hit. And I don't know if I would want to see Zoller get swallowed up into the like mainline Hollywood system unless he had the same the same creative freedom that somebody like Tarantino does have, which I don't know if they would give him that because he's not that recognizable of a name yet. And so I you think... don't want to see uh, Craig Zoller's C Tripio original story. You don't I, want I him would... to go into the <laughs> Invisible Man or Multiple Men Marvel. <laughs> I would, um, uh, I would rather not. I would say here's some guys I'm really rooting for, and they're working on a sci-fi thing right now. Is Daniels? You know Daniels? Um, they did uh, Swiss Army Man. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. And uh, that, now they've done mostly commercials and some of the best music videos in fucking years. But no, like <laughs> they're they're always working with bands that like nobody really that aren't hugely mainstream. Um, but anytime you show any of their work to anybody, people are like, this is awesome. This is unlike anything I've ever seen. And I think, you know, because they have their visual effects background, I'm always interested in what they have to do, but, um, they, uh, they, I think those are two guys that like, they're almost too experimental to ever hit, hit it through with the mainstream. I don't think they'd ever rein it in to do stuff, but those are guys that I hope get on that list where, Everyone's like, "Oh, have you seen the latest Daniels uh, film?" You know, I, mm-hmm. but uh, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> well, I think this has been a a very uh, well, a, as far as like subject matters and jumping around, pretty chaotic of a show. But I think that's, <laughs> I think that's been great, actually. Um, Tim, do you want to plug your stuff or where people can find you? I know you have a podcast. Uh, yeah, I live out of my car. Um... Right now, that should be the name. That's the that name. Should, well, I, I do actually. I do have a a series. It's not up right now because I was applying for jobs and I was. I have to find a new way to kind of hide my content, but op- only open to smart young people. You know, like keep mm. keep people who like, for example, uh, my new landlady. Uh, was like, oh, I did some research on you. I found your Facebook. And I was like, shit. What'd she find? What did I leave up there? You know? But mm. she was very uh, she was very impressed. She was like, oh, you're a filmmaker? And blah, blah. I was like, I, if I was any good, I wouldn't be li- living here for the... <laughs> with, a, with these two roommates, whatever. Um, 88-year-old man, you know? Um, but, 
You can find me at at Tibbs Davers, and that's the kind of stuff you can expect to be uh, to be privy to. At Tibbs Davers on Instagram is the best place right now. I'm I'm keeping track of all this crazy shit that I'm going through. By the way, you should cut that out because I think she's gonna listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> I take that back. I take that back. I'm gonna. I'm telling her it's behind a paywall, dude. You can leave this. In. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm telling her it's behind a paywall, and then I'm gonna cut out. This stuff, this stuff, and then be like, "Oh yeah, it's behind a paywall, but here's the file." <laughs> yeah, just burn it on a CD and put it in the mailbox. Yes, there you um, go. <laughs> or just add a. I can't wait to live with this too. El- <laughs> it's so nice. It'll yeah. You can you can no, substitute honestly, that in like uh, the, what was it? Uh, yeah. uh, the Simpsons episode with the dog on Itchy and Scratchy. I have to go home now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow, Poochie was from another planet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do actually enjoy. I, that's actually not a lie. I, I actually think I'm going to enjoy living there just for the sheer experience. And uh, they're pretty chill. She she smokes a lot of pot. She's pretty uh, laid back. It's <laughs> great. I don't know if he does though. He's very old. Maybe he does. He just kind of chills and watches like Game Show Network. Anyways, yeah, at Tim Stabers, you can find me there at Instagram. Uh, Instagram is the best place. Perfect. And I mean, you can only find Hans now, I think, probably on like LinkedIn. You've been kicked off Twitter <laughs> how many times? Twitter. What did you do? Who did, who Three. reported you now? What did you say? Yeah, what, I don't know. Oh, Nothing. you don't know. Uh, you they, never know. What, what, no, they, hmm. uh, they uh, well, they sent me an email today saying that they found that my account was linked to an account that they previously suspended. Somehow, I don't know how because I used an email that I created specifically for it, and I didn't put my phone number. But I guess I'm just I can't be on Twitter anymore. I'm just you know I'm I'm, I'm Alex. They Alex Jones me for calling Elizabeth <laughs> Warren something mean <laughs> or something. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, you can you can find me on uh, Patreon.com/slash Comfort. Uh, no, what is it? No, you don't, you don't even know the link. I don't this even is, know. You're gonna send people to like a dead page. This is great. Just sign up for VK.com. It's uh, the Russian clone of Facebook. You'll be fine there. Russian yeah. 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 Find me there. You can, you can stream over there. It's a pretty good platform. It's it's not that bad, all things considered. Nobody's mm-hmm. nobody's really broke through on there just yet, but maybe you can be the first. That's where I'm going. Yeah. All right. This has been a wonderful show. Uh, Tim, thank you for coming back on and talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh I think probably, uh, uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think. We'll have to come up with an idea for a third episode down the line or something that's conspiracy related. Right. <laughs> so think we about could that. Do cons- we, could do, we could do the Mel Gibson conspiracy theory. That's, that's know, the so. obvious one, right? But that movie's yeah. probably like a pile of shit now for, for all we know. <laughs> I don't know. I, re-watch- I rewatched it. I got to say, if you want to talk about some bad acting from, uh, <laughs> what's her name? Holy mackerel. Uh, Julia Roberts, uh, wow! You can tell why she had she must have slept with a lot of people because that's that's why she has a career. Actually, what movie is this? What movie is this? Side note: Before you go, <laughs> do you remember they used to do like the Who Fucked Who shows on like E True Hollywood something or other? The E show, you know mm, that E yeah, yeah. one. And uh, she actually requested that they not do one on her. Because of how many people in Hollywood she has slept with. She fought her brother. That's why his career. Yeah, that's why they blacklisted Eric Roberts. (laughs) Yeah. 
That's a, just a, cons- that's a crazy conspiracy, though, that one. But that's just a theory. <laughs>